<clears throat> Cue motivational music. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name's Dean and I'm a designer on a quest. A quest to further understand the creative industry and learn as much as this noggin will hold. Join me as I share my discoveries and tap into the minds of some of the most well-respected creatives in the world. This is my creative therapy. Hello and welcome to episode six. So today I'm joined by BBC's creative director, James Cross, who over the years has worked on some awesome projects, many of which you've probably seen. He's also directed the creative team at McCann, is also a council member at DNAD, and in this episode we talk about the many familiar projects he's worked on. So from the 2018 Russia World Cup campaign to the Domino's April Fool's gag, which went viral also. And it was even mentioned on the Jay Leno show in the US as well, which is nuts. We also talk about the importance of staying happy within the industry. So tissues at the ready. This one's emotional. It's Red Nose Day. Are you uh, are you guys doing anything for that? Well, I've kind of um, Red Nose Day and Comic Relief has kind of passed for me because I did the. So we made the um, uh, all the the main promotions for all the ads and all the all the trails for the um, fifth wedding show and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, some weeks ago. So do you know what? Actually, when the event comes, I'm, I'm kind of finished with it. <laughs> so no, I'm not doing anything at all. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what, what's the sort of the turnaround uh, time like there for work? Is it sort of a job comes in, it needs to be out the, out the door the same yeah. day or is it? Um, well, it's a bit different to <clears throat> um, ad agencies. So we don't... Um, it's generally quite fast turnaround, so we don't. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a it's a fast turnaround. So um, compared to an agency, you know, when Tim and I worked at McCann, the last TV ad we did actually took eight months from from brief to being on air. At the BBC, we can work uh, turnarounds of, you know anything down to uh, a week and a half, but something like comic relief, comic relief campaign, uh, probably took um, three months or so, start to finish. Awesome. Is um, that all done in-house as well? Yeah, so the BBC do, uh, BBC created do everything for the uh, BBC in-house. We are their in-house ad agency. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so in terms of we do everything, and we come up with all the ideas and all the project management is done, in-house mm -hmm. but the production itself obviously we get directors and production companies externally in to do to do those things when we need them although there are certain jobs we do do um mm -hmm. in-house we do have that facility too is it a uh, is it a big team the bbc creative uh bbc creative is quite big I, I do hear varying numbers as you do at any agency but mm. so in we're across two two places so we've got the office in london which is i think it's about 150 people um and then the uh in salford uh is usually about 20 or so um but mm -hmm. that, both teams can sort of flex up and down um you know, with, with freelance as and when, as and when we yeah. do it. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind, I was going to ask if you could give us a bit of an overview of your journey for those who sort of aren't mm -hmm. familiar. Uh, you studied at Buckinghamshire Uni, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I did. So, I mean, it's always quite strange because they're quite famous for having an advertising course, but I didn't do an advertising course when I was at, um, before I went to university, all I wanted to do was work in the music industry, um, 
I just wanted to be around rock stars as I realized I probably wouldn't be one myself. So I went to, I went to Bucks and did a music industry, uh, marketing and management degree. Um, awesome. yeah, it was awesome at the time. I think when I think back now, I think it was probably a bit of a waste of time. Um, but so when I, I came out of there, um, it was around the time. So I graduated in 2002 and it was around the time Napster was, really taking off and the music industry was uh, done on its arse really so mm. uh, I did have one job briefly at a record label called Shifty Disco Records in Oxford nice. um, so I got I got a job there and it was incredibly sure you know it wasn't really a proper job it was it was an admin role really um, mm-hmm. so uh, I did that for uh, a little while um, but then they used to let me write all the press releases and I realized that to do something creative was actually I think my my true calling so um i sort of cobbled a portfolio together um i mean this sounds quite random to people that are you know really working hard to get in the ad industry or the creative industries but cobbled a portfolio together that was awful and went for a uh interview with a couple of chaps at an agency called bmb um and to my mind we spoke spoke about led zeppelin for an hour um and i was offered a job at the end of it without ever opening my book um which was probably a blessing because i think had i opened my book wouldn't have got that job Uh, so that was great so that was amazing so i was one of two copywriters in the building and i was teamed up with an art director uh, called paul thomas who he was uh, possibly 20 years older than me if um, that might be rude if he's listening I think he might be a lot, <laughs> a lot closer but I think he was he was vastly more experienced than me as a junior um, we worked for two years together uh, mostly on Saab um, which no longer exists um, so we um, used to do lots of work for them and then uh, he left uh, to be a CD of an agency in Bristol uh, I was suddenly uh, no longer in a team. I was a copywriter on my own. So I looked at um, the agency whose work I really admired, and that was uh, an agency called Big, who used to do um, a lot of TV work for WKD. So it was very sort of laddie and cheeky uh, humor. So I went there, and that's where I met met Tim, uh, who is you know still my uh, uh, creative partner today so we're joint creative directors at the bbc now um so yeah we had a we had a year i think initially at big and then we went to mccann birmingham where we you know our careers really took off i guess um we got the opportunity to work at mccann birmingham after doing our first proper tv work for wkd and that led to us um doing a lot of work for vox brands like voxel um and various others. So we did three years there, uh, three and a half years there. Then we went back to big as um, uh, creative group heads. Um, But then the agency kind of, it was in a a weird transition period. So we were working on uh, things like Domino's uh, Pizza, which was a really cool account to work on. Uh, We did some good work for those those guys. I did a project called Domicopter, which did well. Um, But then, yeah, so yeah, Domicopter was a, a, a huge, um, it was a big sort of viral success, really. Um, so we did that, and then we thought about going freelance. Um, so we went for an interview at McCann Manchester with a view to, they wanted us to work there permanently, but we thought, well, we'll get them interested 
and then uh, that when they offer us a job we tell them that we're actually freelance but they didn't they offered us a job and we we took it it was an amazing opportunity to um to essentially be creative director on uh all of their business that wasn't their main aldi client which was an amazing opportunity we did that for two years um and interspersed with a couple of secondments to McCann Berlin and McCann Prague. Um, Tim and I ended up at BBC Creative. I think that's pretty much my journey. I think I've probably missed out about seven agencies there, but that's, that's pretty much it. That's awesome. And how you sort of transition from, you know, wanting to get into music to realizing that you had this sort of, this uh, creative flair and yeah. you sort of, put that into design um yeah i, I mean, think it's just a lot i think it's i think most people realize you, it's weird when you do a vocational degree and you think when you're 16 or 17 making your choices you think that this is what i want to do with the rest of my life oh <laughs> but, god yeah uh, but That's when you a... think back now i would never trust the you know 16 17 year old me to make a choice about anything let alone you know what i wanted to do for the next 45 years <laughs> it's, it's hard isn't it it's, when they ask you sort of at that age what you want to do for the rest of your life and you know you're it's, it's crazy it, yeah it's actually it's, quite, it, quite mad <laughs> it's, think, it's a heavy it's a heavy question to be asking a 16 year old it very much it very much so i mean i was um I was pretty much the first person in my family to go to university as well. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't surrounded by people that were giving me advice and, you know, saying, go to a, go to a regular university and do a, you know, broad degree that could lead you in, you know, a number of directions. I was just fixed on, you know, wanting to work in, you know, what I presume was a very glamorous industry. And I was very much into, you know, bands at the time and, you know, I suppose it was a heyday, you know, coming out of the other end of the sort of Britpop years, about 1998, 99. Um, and it was kind of, it was just a cool place to be. And I just wanted to be part of that. But yeah, as soon as I got there, um, I did a work experience at a place called Pop Tones Records, actually before I graduated, which Pop Tones used to be uh, creation records, which had bands like uh, Oasis and Primal Scream. So it was, oh, wow. it was the place to work, but it was kind of, it was, you know, ladies walking around with chihuahuas in handbags and sort of cocaine monsters everywhere. And it was just frankly awful, awful place. <laughs> oh my God, that's savage. Yeah. But um, yeah, going back to uh, the sort of the design mm. side of things, mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the hardest and sometimes the uh, the most I don't want to get negative, mm. but the most disheartening things that can happen in the industry is when you're sort of really passionate about an idea that you've created, maybe mm. for a brand or whatever, and then you propose <laughs> the idea and it gets shot down. And mm. when you were talking about WKD a minute ago, mm. it reminded me of an article that you wrote where I think it was Prolific North where yeah. uh, WKD rejected an idea you had for being too juvenile. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this is this, so this is going back to like 2006, 2007. Um, okay. um, and it was just when um, uh, the alcohol industry in advertising terms and design terms was getting more regulated. So you couldn't, uh, there were certain rules you couldn't show um, yeah it couldn't be juvenile it couldn't suggest 
that if you drink this this drink you are going to be successful mm-hmm. you know sexually or in life or physically it just had to be kind of straight down the line but yeah the initially what used to happen with wkd we'd send off a load of uh, scripts to the um uh, clear cast to do all the approvals of what goes on air and often they would come back this is too juvenile but on this occasion you know it was the first time tim and i had beaten all the other creative teams in the agency to have actually the favorite script so you know we uh okay just didn't take no for an answer i guess we we wrote a letter um against the knowledge or wishes of um you know the management team our creative director and lo and behold the the guy at clearcast um took pity on us, made us change a couple of things and, you know, allowed the script to progress. So, yeah, it was, it was lucky. But I think, um, you know, really, really going for it and, you know, never giving up and sort of a never-say-die attitude has, you know, certainly seen Tim and I as a, a creative duo really well over the years. And, I, you know, kind of put that down. You know, a lot of our success comes down to that, I'd say. That's cool how you sort of stuck with it. You believed in the idea mm. and you sort of challenged them. Um, and you usually, I mean, it's uh, the shoes on the other foot, really. I mean, the mm-hmm. client's normally in full full control of yeah. the idea. Well, the client um, wanted that, that idea. The client liked oh, okay. it, but it was kind of... It was it was just the regulators that that wouldn't allow it, and obviously the client is never going to do anything controversial. But as long as you've got that that letter saying you know the Clearcast or the ASA approve what you're doing, then you know the the world's your oyster. It reminds me of um, I wasn't around obviously at this time, but it must have been about the the fifties or the sixties when mm. they were advertising for cigarettes and they could get away with writing whatever they wanted because there was no yeah. sort of hard evidence that cigarettes did any da- um, did any damage. So and, and then when obviously the uh, the medical reports came in and the the government started to get all this knowledge of how dangerous cigarettes were they had to reach out to these advertising agencies and basically stop saying you know stop saying that these are good for you and, and whatever. yeah well it's kind of i always think that the fact they print smoking kills on every on a packet of cigarettes is is mm. kind of crazy really but yeah the advertising was the wild west and i think i read something uh Yesterday, I think it might have been in the metro or something like that. But twenty-five percent of you know, advertising currently has a, a trust rate of twenty-five percent, which is pretty pathetic compared wow. to. I think I'm sure. Don't quote me on these numbers, but in '92, it was forty-six uh, percent of people trusted advertising. So, yeah, the industry has done itself no favors. Uh, in that That's sense, crazy. But, I wonder why that is then. Uh, well, it's kind of, I guess it's because there's so much advertising um, yeah. these days. But, yeah, you it's, it is very well regulated. It's quite restrictive. But, you know, that's you know that's why we're creatives and, we you know, we're here to think around those issues and, you know, mm. get good stuff away. That's cool. So um, you touched on it again a second ago about the uh, about success and stuff, and I think it was the uh, the the same interview that you did with Prolific North, where you said, uh, "I used to think success was was a financial thing yeah. or fame, but mm. it's not. Success is measured in your own happiness. The day I dread going into the office is the day I look 
for something else to do. Yeah. And this this really resonates with me personally because I, I, I once thought that sort of being successful was about, you know, the, the car you drove or how many bedrooms your house had. But then I started to reevaluate certain values and started mm. thinking, what is it that really makes me happy? And it took me that thought to realize that success isn't about all the materialistic things. If you're happy, right. then you're already successful. And I think happiness is something that is uh, something that so many people are chasing these days uh, through a number of reasons, probably. Yeah. Uh, whether that be social media and this false sense of reality. Um, yeah, yeah, that is strange. That is strange. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I know measurement can be hap measured in an Instagram post, but you know, I think we all know it's not completely what what you're seeing. But yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I did, yeah, I wasn't. I was just being really honest. I think it took me quite a long time to to realize that you know, you know, enjoy where you are now. I think I was always mm -hmm. guilty of you know. There's been times in my career where I've taken a job thinking about what my next promotion might be and yeah. then getting sidetracked by that. And I think I always have that in my mind as an ambition of, okay, where I want to go next. And it, you've just got to be conscious that it doesn't, you don't, you, you don't forget about the here and now, I guess. Um, and then in, yeah, in, in, in terms of money, um, yeah, I've moved for the money once in my career, which I didn't mention at the end. When I left my first agency, I went to an agency in uh, London um, mm -hmm. who specialised in um, sales promotion, and it it just as a a writer at the time, it it just wasn't creative at all. I was writing buy one get one free as a a headline, and that was kind of my job. Um, so yeah, the money was way more than the job I'd come from. But yeah, I lasted six months. It wasn't, um, and I actually took wow. a pay cut to leave it. So it was, yeah, and it, it's remarkable. It's kind of, yeah, not the things uh, you expect are going to sort of make you happy. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it's, yeah, as you, as you go through, it's, it is about, for me, it's about the, the work you do, happiness. It's not about how much cash you have. Um, you know, I do. I went through a phase weirdly at school where I thought I wanted to be um, a city trader, but even though it just fills me with dread, um, I don't know why anyone would want to do anything like that, really. But yeah, money, money, money is not everything. Yeah, being the point. No, absolutely. Uh, I used to think a while back when I was when I was younger that, um, well, I say younger, a few years ago, <laughs> where I wanted to, and it still might happen, uh, but. I don't know, I've sort of fallen out of love with the idea a little bit at the minute, but I sort of wanted to create uh, my own design agency. Mm -hmm. um, and I started thinking about the reasons why I wanted to create the agency. Mm. And I almost thought that as much as it would be good to sort of get the work in and work with some awesome clients, yeah. I wasn't really thinking about the, the, the work itself. I kept thinking about... Why is it that I, I eventually want to be running this agency? Mm. Is it because I want to have this connection with all these brands, or is it want? Is it because I want to have a lot of money and you know yeah. go places and have a big house? And then it sort of it hit home, and it was like, 
I think it was something that Steve Bartlett might have said, actually, from mm. Social Chain. It's mm -hmm. just like, you know, money doesn't buy your happiness. If you look at the richest people in the world. Oh, it's just, that's, I mean, that's really true. I think that I also think that you you kind of, you know, if you wanted to start your own place, I often think this of people when they say, ask, because, you know, and obviously there's going to be reasons that, you know, you want to be the one in control and you want to work with great brands. I also think you probably, you shouldn't shy away from saying, because one day I want to sell it and then move to Barbados. <laughs> I actually think that's, that's a perfectly relevant and okay thing to say. I just, I think sometimes in sort of the creative industry, it's not the, it's not the dumb thing to say that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I don't. Absolutely not. I don't. I don't think so either. I think if you've got the <laughs> balls to start your own place, which you know would be incredibly stressful and you know is a huge risk, then mm -hmm. you know five or ten years time, you should absolutely be enjoying the, the sort of trappings of you know whatever you do. It just you've managed, I guess, in that sense, to do the thing that makes you happy and you know get the the material things as well i mean i kind of think the happiest people i know you know aren't rolling in cash at all my sister and brother-in-law my brother and my sister uh, uh does a bit of work in a cattery my brother-in-law's a ironmonger which is a dying trade and you know they are no means rich people um mm -hmm. you know in and you know money can be a struggle but they're probably two of the happiest people i know they really are yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's it's nuts to think how people have this uh, this feeling of money will buy you happiness when it really won't. It'll probably buy you happiness for a, you know maybe a few months while, yeah. you're, while you're riding that while you're riding that jet ski. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's um, yeah, jet ski, so, jet skis get boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would love to to know that, but unfortunately, I just haven't got one. <laughs> but it's a shame because I live by I live by the coast as well. There's a lot of water around here down by the southwest. But oh no, no. Well, I'm from the Midlands, so uh, jet ski is oh, okay. sort of black, black magic to me. <laughs> Where's the nearest sort of beach or anything for you? Oh, well, I actually live in so I live in um, uh, just south of Manchester now in Wilmslow. So I don't know Blackpool, I guess, or, or North Wales is probably the the closest. Blackpool. Mm. Oh my god, I've been there in years. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to sort of, I've got a few things to ask, and I'm a bit mm -hmm. cautious of your time. Yeah, it's so I'm just going to sort of crack on. Um, I'm sure there's sort of a lot of people talk about this, and I did try and think of a project at the BBC which hadn't had as much exposure, but one, that was tricky, and two, I mm -hmm. felt I loved it so much and I wanted to know more about it. Yeah. Um, the advertising campaign for the 2018 Russia World Cup. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so when I was watching this, I was thinking, this is insane. Mm -hmm. But then when I watched the advert on how it was made, yeah. I was I was mind blown. Yeah. Absolutely mind blown. So the advert, well, can you tell us a bit about it? Of course, I can. So, um, so obviously the... I mean, it's kind of shooting fish in a barrel when you're given briefs to advertise World Cup coverage. It's um, pretty amazing. So the World Cup's in Russia, as you said, um, and we needed to promote uh, the BBC's um, uh, broadcast of that. So uh, what we did, we 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 gave the brief. Um, you know, obviously, there's lots of things the brief needs to do, which you know it has to cover all the nations and it has to 
get people excited that aren't necessarily going to automatically tune in to football. So uh, we came up with an idea called History is History Will Be Made. And um, visually, we wanted something that was very Russian, but avoided the cliches of, of Russian dolls and all, all, the, mm. all the like, because there's that issue when you you bring out ads like that that you know nike and other channels and other brands are all going to bring out their ads for the world yeah. Cup at the same time so uh what the creative team did uh ed and zander they uh, found a reference to um uh sort of an embroidery style which um used to be put onto russian uh folk dresses and and jackets you know from the last 100 200 years and it was it felt very russian without being an obvious reference so uh what we did we took uh the idea of uh doing the history of the world cup and you know promising that history will be made uh in mm -hmm. this world cup through the medium of a tapestry um telling the story of the world cup but i suppose the the cute bit and the bit that yourself and, and many people like is the fact that um it took um i can't remember the exact number of frames Six, i think 608 yeah 608 uh yeah. hand stitched uh frames which were then um all photographed individually and spliced together um wow. to make what well, one of the first um, uh, stitched animations, I guess you'd say. So it was a, a labor of love. It took you know, a serious amount of time. I think it was like mm. a quarter of a million kilometers of thread or something ridiculous like that we used. Um, but yeah, that was a, an absolute labor of love. We actually, um, I mean, Tim always said we had to actually make the, the ad three or four times because the animation process, you know, the first ad you do is obviously your animatic, which is like a sketch. And then we had to actually design every single frame, put that together. And then once the ad is approved, then you sort of put your layer of stitching on it. Um, yeah, it was... a. Absolutely, it was a crazy uh, undertaking, um, but absolutely the most gratifying uh, thing I've ever worked on. Um, so yeah, like you say, you can you search BBC World Cup 2018, you'll you'll find you'll find that ad. But uh, yeah, absolute labour of love, um, and yeah, took craft to levels that you know I've certainly never worked at before, and. Um, would probably think twice about attempting it again, but uh, you know, nothing, nothing's, nothing good, um, you know, comes easy. So, and that, mm. that, I think that's what yeah. I think that's what set, sets you guys apart, you know, BBC Creative from the the average agency is just mm. being able to go that extra mile. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that comes down to being, like I was saying, Tim and I always pushing it, always probably being quite competitive. So. I've only worked in London once in my life, but Tim and I, our career has essentially been made in perhaps the less fashionable part of the ad industry, um, you know, in the Midlands of Manchester, um, which kind of make, does make you work a bit harder and, and, you know, strive for a bit more. And you always feel like the underdog. And I don't think that spirit, like I said, has, has ever left um, Tim and I in all we do. And then nowadays, we don't let it leave the teams that are, you know, working into us and we're, you know, providing the creative direction for, for them. Am I still there? Are we frozen? 
Oh, I um, think we froze um, for a second. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure where I got to, but um, I'm sure it was profound. <laughs> no, it's, it's also I was just falling. I was falling into a daze just listening. To be honest, just listening to you, it's in, it's incredible to see or to hear how the uh, how you manage the team and, mm. and the workload and um, how you manage to pull off an execution like that and. It's, I mean, when I first saw that ad, I thought, I remember seeing it as well. I was just thinking, this is great. This is stop motion. Mm. And then obviously, yeah, I found out that it was all sort of stitched and photographed each one and just, just insane, man. I think, I, I think that's the beauty of what you guys do. Yeah. It's yeah. Just... But it's kind of, it's going the, to the, as far, far as you can push every element. So the music we used, uh, Sir John Tomlinson to record a, with the, um, uh, the uh, Philharmonic Orchestra at Abbey Road. So, you know, we really, we wanted the very best of, you know, every single element and we pushed every single element. And, um, you know, it kind of drove us all sort of to the brink of madness. I think towards the end it was, you know, Liz Dolan who produced it. I don't know how she she stayed sane through the process, but, yeah, we delivered it in the nick of time. Um there's a company called the London Embroidery Company. I think that's actually their name, and they brought in extra sewing machines that, which were working, you know, 23 hours a day for uh, one hour to cool off the machines for three weeks, solid, and mm-hmm. um, stitching this stuff. Um, and they, they, you know, <laughs> our relationship with all these people was very strained by the end of it. But I think when you step back at the end and you've done something, you know, you've mm you've done something beyond what is expected of you or to be honest, what is required of you because, you know, the, the powers that be at the BBC are not expecting us to do anything like that. But, you know, when, if we have the budget and it's, it's possible, then we'll, we'll push it. And the women's world cup is, you know, a big event coming for the BBC this year. So we we have something in the the pipeline that you know isn't um I'm, spoiler alert but it's not stop frame stitched animation um <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, <laughs> i mean again we're kind of pushing that and we're you know we're, we're shooting for the moon really we're not um you know our ambitions um you know i'll i'll big for that so yeah fingers crossed that comes awesome. up. Yeah. I, look, I look forward to seeing that man but um I, yeah like you said i sometimes think it's not just how the ideas being executed, but just the idea itself. And it, it reminded me of another project uh, I love, which the BBC Creative mm. did. And I remember when this came out as well, it was the it was the BBC Sounds advert where you yeah. saw the celebs together to make one long piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Is there sort of like intense research involved? Um, that was, uh, I mean, the creatives that did that nick and james and uh jamie starbuck who creative directed that i mean it was kind of i know that was one of the most stressful projects ever because the the celebrities and the names attached to it changed almost daily and i think you know right to the wire they were you know getting phone calls that so and so is available um but again you know the guys works um with Megaforce, who obviously directed Nothing Beats a Londoner. Um, and it was a big collaboration, and collaboration is such an important thing in this industry. You don't, you generally don't achieve amazing things in silo or on your own. You know, the whole team on that project, you know, 
found new level, you know, different stresses, I guess, to what we had uh, when we did the World Cup. But, um, you know, they pulled together and they made something, you know, absolutely brilliant. Uh, but I think it was very much here, right, roughly, this is what we want to do. We want the celebrities, you know, in everyday situations representing BBC Sounds. Okay, what celebrities can we get? And then when we get the confirmations, we'll write the scenes around them. They did, and it's it's kind of seamless. I I think only the Freddie Mercury scene at the end um, was probably the the easiest to do in many ways, even though you you know you're cutting out and there's lots of sort of CGI in there. Um, but it's the only one where you know Freddie. You when you get approval to use Freddie, he's not going to pull out. You know, <laughs> on the day of the shoot. Well, I don't know. No. If Freddie Mercury probably has some mythical power where he can do that. But yeah, so that was it. Was it was a stressful one, but I think the stress is stress was absolutely worth it. So it was kind of like, oh, Rita Orr is available. Quickly, let's get down to our offices. Or... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm probably doing them a disservice if I say yes, it was a bit like that, but I'm going to say yes, I think it was a bit like that. I imagine, I imagine man, yeah, very time-consuming, I imagine, but rewarding. I mean, it, it was awesome, the whole thing. Yeah, it just, an amazing uh, piece of work. It just worked. Uh, so at the, at the BBC, obviously, there's there's different brands and mm -hmm. sub-brands, BBC One, Two, Three, CBBC, yep. CBBs. Yep. Is it the, the team's job to make sure that each channel has its own specific tone of voice and look and feel and to make sure that the content that you create complements that? Um, absolutely. Um, so it's weird. So when you, people say in-house and you don't want to work for one brand, the BBC is, you know, like you say, a stable of brands. Um, so the creative directors across uh, BBC Creative, we all take um, responsibility for uh, different accounts, if you like. So Tim and I do uh, BBC Sports, um, CBBS, CBBC, BBC Learning, um, and charities, which is children in need, comic relief, sport relief. Um, and they're all sort of massive accounts and they're all very individual in their own right. So they have different marketing teams on each one. Um, and sort of tonally, you know, yes, they're all different. There is the common thread of, you know, the BBC in there. So, you know, to inform, educate and entertain is, you know, underpins what we do. But at the same time, the BBC is a, a corporation that is having to very much reshape itself for the future. So um, we're very consciously aiming everything we do at the under 35s because, you know, in this this, this days of uh, Netflix and YouTube and Amazon Prime and all that sort of thing, we have to compete differently. So the, the issues that face all of the BBC uh, channels and properties are, you know, there is a lot of similarity. But, yeah, we absolutely have to, you know, keep tone of voice uh, individual for each one. Um, and you know each each brand in in its own right. We can't just if we made it generic, we'd we'd speak to everyone and no one. Um, you know, yeah. but, uh, and obviously that there's a we have weird days where you know I might be <clears throat> having meetings on a BBC Sport project, then go into uh, a CBBS <laughs> meeting for a, you know the new series of Moon and Me, which is it messes with your head a little bit. But um, yeah, that's that's the that's the way the day goes. I like that there's this, like you say, this common thread throughout the whole throughout the whole thing, though, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, um, which is BBC. 
and it's sort of the, the backbone to the to the brands and the sub brands. Yeah, it has to. That has to. It has to feel. And you know, obviously, we're there to change perception, so we shouldn't do something mm-hmm. that you look at and go, "Oh, that's definitely a BBC." Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are there are certain values and you know rules and uh, various reasons for why we do things a certain way. But yeah, I think when you step back and look at everything, um, you know, it all feels like you know genuinely you know you, and hopefully it shifts a, a bit of perception about the the corporation but yeah it's all very much bbc mm. so just going just going back to uh what you were just talking about with the the netflix and amazon prime and stuff obviously the the way we view content is evolving at a crazy speed whether that be from watching traditional tv to youtube or watching more portrait than landscape content mm-hmm. And with brands and platforms like Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, mm. who are sort of real key players in this area, yeah. are there any sort of considerations BBC are making to make sure that you guys stay at the top of mainstream entertainment? Well, everything we do, we're always looking at how we get to our audience and how we can compete. So, you know, right from the editorial um levels the way we we present our our programming and our content um is very much made to be of the moment so therefore should be competing with with those platforms um you know we are present on we do use instagram and snapchat um and things like that for marketing purposes and you know the 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 editorial teams themselves use those platforms um so I think we're I think we're there. It's it's just the challenge to the BBC is is just to to remain relevant, and mm, you know to it, yeah, it's it's upholding a level of quality um, to make sure people do come back to us. You know, iPlayer is was is changing, and there's all this talk of BritBox now. But iPlayer was originally launched as a catch up service. Um, so if you you know you, you miss your show at nine, then you can get home at ten and watch it. But people don't really view TV like that anymore. You know, it's we're you know I certainly haven't for a few years now. It's you know you binge on a box set or you know you you certainly don't. I get a little bit annoyed and have to wait week to week for something to to come out. Um, which you know the BBC do, but they also upload full box sets now. You know you can watch a whole series on on iPlayer. But yeah, the iPlayer, even though the BBC was you know pioneers in that world, you know ten or fifteen years ago, however ever long iPlayer has been around, you know it's changed again now. So so the BBC is all is so conscious of you know remaining absolutely relevant and offering value for money. Um, you know we. We uh, will always, you know, uh, change to to that measure. I just got a meeting request. I'm sorry about that dingaling you just heard. <laughs> no, I didn't hear anything. I, I didn't, didn't hear anything. Yeah, I heard oh, it. Yeah. Good. Oh, right, okay. Um, but yeah, that was my diary going off, which has thrown me completely. So I don't know what I was talking about. Ten seconds. No, that, that's absolutely fine. We were talking about iPlayer, but mm. I, I watch iPlayer quite a lot. Um, I was watching it last night. I think it was iPlayer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was the um, the new season of White Gold. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. My gold with Jay from the Betweeners yeah. and Simon Peck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, I was just I was just watching it, and I was thinking it's it, it's evolved so much from 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 what it 
first was like yeah. you said when it was just a catch-up mm-hmm. sort of platform mm-hmm. and now that there's, there's so many box sets on there and stuff do you think there'll ever be a time where uh the bbc will introduce sort of like mainstream news into into any of that content well i mean it's difficult i'm i'm sure I'm sure they they will. I'm, sh- I'm not sure that uh, you probably can actually on iPlayer, but I mean the the BBC News is a is a, a 24 hour a day operation. So you know the the BBC websites are you know some of the most visited websites in the world. Um, you know News 24. There's so many ways we you know we we consume the news as well. Um, we're actually working BBC Creative. Uh, we're about to. Um, uh, rebrand and uh, get people to reappraise, you know, BBC News because it it is there's a real value to to what we do in that we are incredibly trusted. So uh, for me, just on a really base level, when there's football rumours about um, who Arsenal were going to sign, if I read it in the Mirror online or some you know football blog, I always go to the BBC to check. So. I think, and I think a lot of people use the BBC for that because it's, you know, it's um, it's it's non-biased or you know certainly mm-hmm. tries to be. I think sometimes it is a bit biased, um, but you go there for the the absolute truth. So BBC News is in a position where it's you know incredibly trusted. We've now just got to make sure that you know the the world is watching and you know the younger audience don't forget about it or, you know, move on to other news sources, especially in this yeah. day, day and age of, of fake news. But to your question, oh, yeah, yeah. is it available on iPlayer? Um, I'm going to say I'm not sure because I don't want someone to go, yeah, of course it is. You should know that it is, but I'm not sure. No, that's cool. It just, it just made me think of the, because um, I, I read a while back, probably about a year or two ago, that Netflix are trying to, or they're investing resource into, uh, letting brands upload like news oh right okay or they might even be creating a separate tab yeah on that within the interface that's just dedicated to news or, or something like it might be worth checking out yeah um, it's a fascinating it's- netflix is fact they're constantly innovating and pushing the boundary and you know their yeah. marketing their marketing campaign for bird box you know being oh, done, God, done, wow. done with memes um is really brave mm-hmm. i think yeah I, I really admire them and you know they are sort of blazing a trail through through the broadcast industry absolutely oh man i totally agree couldn't agree more uh so i mean again you talked you talked about it earlier but i just wanted to come back to it again the april fool's gag for dominoes yeah uh that was hilarious uh for people who haven't seen it mm. it's a it's a short video of domino's deliver, delivering pizzas on a drone yeah i, I also seen some uh videoed reaction of people watching it <laughs> and there was this one kid in his bedroom who looked mm. super stoked yeah and he was just sat there with his mouth open the whole time <laughs> just just watching the video and um yeah some people from uss base claimed mm-hmm. that be sued and yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be allowed yeah it literally got worldwide coverage mm-hmm. it was awesome can you run us through that yeah so i mean so it kind of starts on a sort of negative note that the the agency at the time had kind of had just been fired by dominoes um oh, right. and we had um tim and i were uh sort of creative directors on the account and we had uh three thousand pounds uh left in the marketing budget of that year 
um and we were challenged to do, do can you know can you use this money for anything on social so we were like okay we'll have a thing um so this was in the days before every other brand did this so i like to think we were the first people to to try and do it but basically uh we we thought what if Domino's could deliver by a drone and actually that's that could be a really good April Fool's Day campaign. Um, April Fool's Day now is sort of littered with campaigns. I'd advise people just to don't do it, just leave it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we came up uh, with this idea that Domino's are going to deliver pizza by drone. Um, uh, but what rather than just put it out as a fake news story, you actually needed to create a bit of a proof of concept. So uh, we knew some guys um, that work with camera com- um, production companies who who operated drones. And then we asked them um, if they fancy getting involved and they did it for 500 quid or whatever. Um, so Tim and I went down. Um, with Tim's wife's camera, actually, we didn't even hire a camera. Um, and then film these guys. We put a Domino's jacket on the guy, an empty pizza box, and then just filmed this drone flying these pizzas around. And then we had a, a GoPro on, on the drone itself. So we had a few angles. Um, and it was as simple as that, really. So we, we, we presented this video of, you know, wouldn't it be cool if Domino's did drones or we said you know don't so the story being dominoes are testing delivery drones which wasn't true but we thought it, it could be possible those various dangers of you know blades in people's faces and you know drones getting stolen and, and, and smashed out the sky um but so we did this video um but what happened was the the biggest success of an april fool's day campaign is when you miss the deadline. So we actually managed to miss the April Fool's deadline by two months. Uh, <laughs> it took us so long to get this out. And we gave it to Domino's. Actually, no, I don't think we missed the deadline. I think Domino's were just slow to put it on Facebook. So I think it actually got put on um, at the beginning of June of that year. Um, and it went out. Um, and we we saw it a bit put on the Facebook page, and it was starting to get a few hundred likes. And we kind of ignored it. And this was the Friday, and then the Sunday night, we got this weird call. Um, so you're not going to believe this, but your uh, Jay Leno is introducing his chat show in um, in the US, and he's going to start with Domicopter, which we we called it, um, which was crazy. And so it just went it. You know, it was the first uh, viral thing, I guess, if you like that word, that we ever did, I I suppose. Um, So, yeah, it got picked up by Jay Leno, and then it was on um, Stephen Colbeck, and it started appearing in every newspaper, and this wild story that, um, you know, Domino's were testing drone deliveries. Um, And I think the, the reason it caught on is because it wasn't, released on april fool's day which is crowded with people trying to do you know humorous things and trying to uh, sort of dupe people into believing something is true um but i think because we actually did the proof of concept people did feel that it was you know we were showing it is possible um there may be issues and yeah these sort of aviation nerds uh, got <laughs> outraged by it 
um but yeah it was essentially a hoax <laughs> um but yeah just went went crazy and dominoes just went with the story and said yeah we are actually we're thinking we're thinking about which dominoes are a very innovative company always looking at how they can can improve they are so much more than you know posh cheese on toast i suppose nice that's a great way mm. to put it yeah but it, it, it was great because you could sort of if you were watching it and April Fools wasn't in the back of your mind. Yeah, you could kind of believe it. Exactly, well, like to a certain degree. It's not. I mean, you're not far off there now. Give it another ten years, and that'll be happening. Yeah, so it's, it's kind, kind of true. Of, I think. I think Amazon in the U. Do they deliver by drone to certain places? But I think so. It's, yeah. it's plausible. Um, yeah, and I absolutely. think the, I always think the the proof of concept, the idea that we actually went out and and did it and. Um, was was so key but yeah actually tim and i fucking up a bit and missing the april fool's deadline was probably the the cleverest thing we did in hindsight the best thing mm. <laughs> that's awesome so um again i, I want to talk about the uh, the short film as well that you collaborated on oh, yeah. it's called Lim yeah. limbo yeah uh, I loved it. Uh, really tugs on the heartstrings. Yeah. What's the What's the plans for this? Uh, well, this is difficult. So uh, we are, we are actually trying to thinking. So none of us have ever released a short film before. So we are mm -hmm. making it up as we go along. Again, it was a, a a burning desire to actually have a go at screenwriting for me. So. Um, that was great and it was you know the fact that it was one of my best friends short stories that we we turned into a, a screenplay was great um but yeah adam uh, riozzi who i direct uh, who directed it um and jess who is that was the producer she she works at mccann manchester um we're trying to think about it about how we release it because i actually we actually finished it um coming up for two years ago um, oh, wow, and okay. kind of sat on it for that amount of time, not really knowing what to do with it. Um, it's slightly too long for a lot of short film festivals. It actually comes in at 15 minutes rather than 12, which I think is the max. So I think, mm -hmm. to be honest, what we'll end up doing is just putting it out there um, uh, because it was only ever it was only ever a labor of love. There's no there's no higher purpose to it. We're not you know we're not trying to you know make money it was good for adam for his reel it was good for me to you know try a different discipline um yeah. uh and you know it was an utter pleasure to work on the the strange fact is is that only a handful of people have actually ever ever seen it um and a friend of mine uh who works at the bbc uh wes wood has just cut a trail together so it's kind of now that trail's there and you know, we'd shared the trail a little bit and a lot of people are now asking, can we see your film? Um, the answer to that is yes, I'll, I'll put it out, I'll put it up online somewhere and then, you know, it, what will be will be. But yeah, we're not, we're not searching for, you know, any accolades or, you know, there's no brand purpose. It's, you know, the, no. the film industry, if you like, is, you know, a completely alien world to us. Um, so we'll just do what we do. We'll put it out and, yeah, yeah see what happens that's all so is um so that was your first piece of sort of writing for yeah a film. it's something i've always wanted to do i'm not i'm not really a book person so as a copywriter by trade a lot of people want to write novels and 
children's books and all that sort of thing when i've always fancied you know writing films i've mm. i've briefly flirted with the idea of directing but i i just don't think that's ever going to be my forte so you know hopefully screenwriting you know it's not it's not, i've always said it's not a burning desire to change careers or anything but mm. it's it's nice to to know that you know you can do that and you, you scratch that itch it was a bit like for me being in a band you kind of you only need to play on stage once and you've kind of done it and it's like I, and you know never felt like i needed to carry on but i've done you know i've done a gig and now good okay that was fun right i can move on i'm doing oh, dean i'm gonna have to go in a minute because i've actually got a call no, in two seconds but yeah no worries that's absolutely fine mate and um, I'll, I'll let you get going thank you so much for your no, time no, it's fine, I, 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 I,